Hi, my name is Mia Reinhart, and I'm your host for Not To Get Political, but... Before we begin today's episode, I would like to start with a few disclaimers. Before recording, my guest and I have researched today's topic, and we will do our best to cite sources throughout our conversation. The opinions held by my guests are not necessarily the opinions that I hold. All views are my own. Today, I am talking with my friend, Ellen Lurie. Ellen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Hi, I'm Ellen. Um, I live in D.C. I'm a sophomore in high school. I use she, her pronouns. And I guess a fun fact about me would be that I love wildlife and anything nature-oriented. Thank you so much. Awesome. So today we're talking about cancel culture, which is a super hot topic right now. And there's a lot of controversy about people being canceled and whether or not it's merited. I'm super excited to discuss it with you. So Ellen, where would you like to begin? Oh gosh, I'm not even sure. I feel like the issues with cancel culture are that no one really knows how to define the term. It has such a colloquial meaning that we don't really think about how we're going to define it literarily or in formal settings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can turn into this tool that people will use in politics to condemn people for pushing a progressive agenda. But then sometimes it's a term to describe a little bit of like an overly pushy, perhaps damaging aspect of people pursuing maybe extreme versions of what could be progressive. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the biggest problems with cancel culture is that it takes two forms. One is people being outraged that someone has been quote unquote canceled. And the other is people using it to like as a leverage, as a political leverage um, to push whatever narrative they want to push. And I think that both of those things are a really far digression from where it started, which was, in my opinion, just as a way to hold people accountable. So going off of that, do you think that cancel culture is even the right wording for this phenomenon? I don't really think so. I think that part of it is just that the word cancel kind of, I mean, in a way, to the way that people use it, especially on social media, perhaps like the people that they are canceling are truly being canceled as their career or their, you know, various methods of putting their voices out are being taken away from them. And like kind of their ability to communicate with society is like being canceled almost as if it was a subscription. But when it comes to like genuinely holding politicians accountable, it feels really casual and not actually properly relevant to the fact that it's talking about careers, about education, about institutions, which is just so much bigger than an influencer or an everyday interaction between two regular people. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's a lot of problems with the word cancel being so aggressive and final. I think um, in some of the articles we read, they use the word call out culture instead. I kind of like that better because I think it it goes back to what the original intention of the idea of cancel culture is, which is that you're calling someone out for um, wrong behaviors, not necessarily canceled. Like I think that cancel culture serves this idea that they cannot 
be better and they there's no room for improvement but calling someone out doesn't negate any improvement that they might make yeah absolutely i also feel like because cancel culture usually revolves around various like pushes towards like a more progressive side of things you know canceling people who've done something that's maybe more conservative or offensive to a group of people part of that is just like for a group of people who may you know just because they are more left-leaning be inclined to like push towards things like rehabilitation and reform and just pushing people who've gone through hard things or done bad things to kind of rather than serving a punishment like for instance imprisonment if we're talking about the legislative or judicial side of things rather introducing them into society giving them an opportunity to kind of rethink the way that they've approached various problems and like giving them a chance to really change. And that's part of why the connotation around cancel is so negative because it's almost in that, you know, it's like an analogy to the criminal justice system in that way, because it's kind of implying that once you get canceled, it's over. It's not about moving forward about apology. It's just avoiding all further discussion on the topic. Yeah. Um, so Going off of that point, do you think cancel culture silences different opinions or allows more opinions to be heard? It definitely silences the opinion of the person who may have presented the problem, so somebody who may have made a mistake because they don't really have the opportunity to apologize for it. It's definitely not silencing in the way that it might kind of quiet a group of people who would have been offended by the actions of that person because it's almost like an outlet for them to speak their minds but when it comes to people who are speaking over people who the problem genuinely more directly affects it can be super harmful and silencing especially if it's for instance you know a person who might be white speaking on behalf of an african-american when it comes to racism it's just not as productive in that sense but far more often it's like silencing the person who's made the mistake and not giving them that opportunity to apologize and move forward yeah, and speaking of people making mistakes and apologizing and moving forward, I'd love to play an audio clip um, from the Sarah Silverman podcast. I think it really captures what we've been talking about, um, holding people accountable and having room to improve. So I'm just going to pull that up so we can listen to it. Christian Picciolini, my friend, who was a neo-Nazi for years, since he was from 14 to, you know, into his 20s, late 20s maybe, was the head of a, a neo-Nazi, whatever KKK chapter where he lived. He has spent the last 30 years getting people out of hate groups. That's what he does. But he went towards love. He was 14, he was smoking a joint, and an older kid took the joint out of his hand and threw it out and said, you don't need that stuff, man. And gave him a place where he was accepted and cared for and loved, and that was a hate group, a neo-Nazi group, where he found family and camaraderie and a place to be when both of his parents worked all day. Going towards love can be a hate group. It could be the drama club, but that's all that it is at its root. It's just going towards where the love is, and you find you're, you're going to find yourself doing a little lot all through your life and maybe wonder about it. I always think, like, in this cancel culture, and we all know what I'm talking about, whether you think there is one or there isn't one or where you stand on it, and there's a lot of gray matter there. 
But without a path to redemption, when you take someone, you found a tweet they wrote seven years ago or a thing that they said, and you expose it and you say, this person should be no more, banish them forever. They're going to find some place where they are accepted. And it's not going to be with progressives, which ironically means to be changed, progress. If we don't give these people a path to redemption, then they're going to go where they are accepted, which is the motherfucking dark side. I think there should be some kind of path. Do we want people to be changed or do we want them to stay the same, to freeze in a moment we found on the internet from 12 years ago? And so we can point to ourselves as right and them as wrong. It's righteousness porn. That is, I think, a really great example of kind of the points we've been getting at about holding people accountable and whether or not cancel culture prevents people from um, improving themselves. And I think overall it does. I think that as a general rule, we should want people to improve themselves and be better and um, make up for their past mistakes by not repeating those mistakes. But I think if you automatically, quote, cancel someone, they're going to stay in whatever pattern of behavior it was. And they're also going to get really defensive as to why that was right and why that was the correct way. And I don't think that's helpful to the situation at all. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like it just puts people into this vicious cycle where, like you said, they're super defensive. They maybe resent the people who've called them out for their behavior. They don't feel like they're in a conversation. They feel like they're kind of being held on trial almost. Like they have maybe their reputation on the line, which is, you know, sometimes positive and necessary if it gets them in the perspective that, yes, what I've done is, you know, very important, very wrong. It's hurt a lot of people, but it's not productive to really force people into a situation where they're feeling like they're being attacked. You know, it's better to have a conversation, to have something where people feel like their voices are being heard and where they can apologize to. Because when you're being almost accused of something, people don't really feel that an apology is suitable for the situation. They feel like defense is suitable, you know, like that they have to excuse themselves, say why they did what they did, rather than simply apologizing for it and holding themselves accountable. Right. So let's talk about accountability. There are so many people in the past few years who have been canceled um, or who have been called out for whatever past mistake it's been. And some of them are really extreme cases. I'm thinking specifically of J.K. Rowling, Um, just a classic turf, somebody who time and time again keeps making these like bold statements that are just insensitive, offensive, and all sorts of confusing and weird. Um, But she was canceled and pretty much collectively agreed upon on at least the left that we do not support J.K. Rowling and we do not like her. But then there's other people like Jimmy Fallon, who briefly was, I wouldn't even say canceled because I don't think he was canceled. I think he was called out for doing blackface early on in his career. Um, And he apologized for it. And he gave a very insightful apology about 
how he's learned and how he he understands what he did was wrong. And we most people support Jimmy Fallon. So what do you think are the deciding factors when it comes to canceling people? What decides who is going to be canceled forever, like J.K. Rowling, or who is going to be still supported after an apology, like Jimmy Fallon? In my opinion, a lot of that stems from the situation and how they respond to what they've been canceled for. And the sad fact of it is that sometimes people are really selective with what they cancel for. It's a lot easier to call people out for certain things and other things, and they might feel that one is more pressing, which is often wrong and defeats the entire purpose of accountability. But um, later in this, in the article that you were mentioning, talking about you know various famous figures who've been supposedly victims of cancel culture, they go on to mention that J.K. Rowling published a letter or... Yeah, she signed on to a letter that criticized cancel culture, which probably didn't make people very happy that after they had this attempt to hold her accountable, she went on to, you know, kind of, yeah, just criticize them to say that they were perhaps annoying or misguided. And that's really like the difference between issuing perhaps like a really, you know, genuine apology and to signing on to a criticism of something that's really just trying to hold you accountable. And it's usually not a productive method of holding you accountable but sometimes even unproductive methods should be responded to well. And it can be really harmful to a person's kind of like flow of movement through a scandal or through a mistake that they've made. If all they do is kind of like we discussed earlier, defend themselves rather than holding themselves accountable and actually apologizing. Yeah. I think even for me personally, it's very hard to decide what garners my support. For example, I'm a big comedy fan. I kind of talk about this in the last episode. Like, I love NBC shows and SNL. Love that stuff. Um, So, for me, I still watch Jimmy Fallon. And honestly, until we read all these articles, I didn't know that he was briefly canceled. Like, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, But I do not support J.K. Rowling. I do still buy Harry Potter books, though. Um, My six-year-old brother, he's just now reading them, and I'm so excited for that. Like, that's super cool. But if J.K. Rowling tweets something or she, you know, does an appearance, I'm not running to go read that and like it and um, give her my support. I think with J.K. Rowling and Jimmy Fallon, the difference for me was that Number one, one of the apologies was a lot more sincere. And number two, one of the actions was a lot less um, repetitive. As in, Jimmy Fallon's, as far as we know, was a one-time offense. Whereas J.K. Rowling has dug herself very deep into the opinions that she um, supports. So I think think that those are some deciding factors, for me at least, but I definitely do want to clarify, and this is something that I'm continually working on, that even if you don't support someone, there should always be room for them to grow. So in five years, if J.K. Rowling comes out and says, hey, I realize all the errors in my ways, I understand that the things I've said are wrong, and here's how I'm going to fix it, 
then that's awesome. And I'm so happy for that. And like, that's not, I'm not going to be like, well, you made one mistake in the past and now you're never going to be like loved again. That's not how I'm going to operate in this sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's an interesting part in what you said about, you know, like your, your brother reading her books and then being really enjoyable for little kids and that not necessarily being something that like you'd want to prevent from happening. But if she were to publish like, publish like some sort of article or maybe like appear on a tv show that that might be less interesting to you i feel like that comes down to the fact that like part of what cancel culture is is like when we reevaluate somebody after a mistake has been brought out we're not really thinking about their past we start thinking about their future you know what i mean yeah and in a person's eyes the material that they produced before this mistake was brought to our attention feels almost like pure from the mistake that they've made almost like it's different it's not something right that you associate with their mistake and that's why it's so weird for people to see Jimmy Fallon with this error because he's made it before his career came about before people probably knew about him to the extent that they do today but JK Rowling has like produced various offensive tweets offensive social media posts after becoming famous and that's part of why it's so difficult to look towards her future in like a really, you know, accepting way, although it is necessary to like accept whatever apology a person generates, if it is sincere, it just feels different because you view it after you've consumed her content. You know, you know, she made that mistake even after she was put in the public eye. Well, maybe, although this isn't an excuse, he probably, when he was making this mistake, didn't realize how many people would see it, which is an upsetting like reality of these mistakes but it does play into how people respond to it. Yeah, and something I want to um, bring up is in the article we read by Brooke Cato, there's a quote that says, cancel culture is an extension of a contemporary evolution of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of banishment. They are designed to reinforce the set of norms. So this was super interesting to me, and it was also briefly mentioned in the um, previous article as well, which was Americans and Cancel Culture, which is written by like 15 people, so I'm not going to name all of them. Um, But does this change your understanding of cancel culture, and should it change the public's understanding of cancel culture? Okay, that's really interesting because the way that she describes it is almost as if we start small and then we grow larger and that that larger thing is cancel culture I feel like it's almost the opposite like we start with a really broad spectrum of how we approach various problems and cancel culture is like a narrowed down almost like end of the funnel kind of aspect of responding to people's mistakes I feel like it's less of an evolution of various behaviors of improving society and it's more of narrowing it down making it really direct and just kind of shutting out other opportunities to respond to the problem like it's one of millions of solutions but it's the one that we seem to have gravitated towards like at least on social media yeah i definitely think that reading this quote was like oh this is like banishment i this is like not a new idea to banish people that we don't agree with but i don't think that this is necessarily an evolution of a social process I think this is just a cherry-picking moment 
you know, like we have decided that this one thing is what we're going to go with. Whereas we have all these other opportunities to improve our society and to improve people's opinions and to hold people accountable. Um, But I don't necessarily think that they are designed to reinforce the set of norms because I don't think people agree on who to cancel and what is um, cancelable. I think that this is like very controversial. Nobody agrees on it. So I don't think that it could reinforce a set of norms if no one is agreeing on it. I definitely agree. It also like raises the question of who's canceling who. You know, if this were in an opposite, more conservative direction, it would probably have a different response. And it's just like, it reminds me a lot of my European history class when we learn about like, you know, the Reformation and things like that. And they talk about how religion really plays into how people are treated in a society. It's so, it feels so bizarre to look back on history and think, oh my goodness, like people were being prosecuted, were being executed, were being like banished from their from their countries, from their nations because of their religion or because of the way they viewed an institution. And it feels like, oh, that never happens anymore. But it's it, like it does. It's just more media based. It's maybe less violent, but it's definitely as kind of blind and almost as banishment oriented as it used to be in history. Yeah, I love that point. That's so, so true. Um, so I want to get back to some of our discussion questions. Would you say And I think we've kind of already touched upon this. Um, But would you say that cancel culture stands in the way of accountability? I think so. I think it forces people into a really defensive perspective. So accountability isn't possible if they're only thinking about how to justify what they've done rather than actually considering it, evaluating it, and moving forward from there. Awesome. Um, I agree with that. And I think that there's so many people recently who have been canceled that it's hard to um, figure out who has actually been held accountable and who has just been shut out without any opportunity for improvement. There's so many people on social media that um, have been exposed or canceled or called out that it's you can't even figure out what is real and what is accountability and what isn't it's like so hard Mm -hmm. yeah definitely like you just it's like witnessing it on social media it's so difficult to tell if somebody's being maybe too harsh in a situation or not harsh enough and it's just like most of the time looking in as an outsider on those situations which is what most like participants in cancel culture really are you know an outsider to the situation We just form opinions based on things that might not really be factual. We follow the lead of other people who might be misinformed, who might have morals that we don't even know go against our own. And that's part of like the real harm of taking things to social media. It's not like a discussion. People just like blindly follow. And it just comes down to the fact that we don't really know what we're talking about unless it's something that's been properly, you know, sourced, broadcasted, or it's something that like we feel is close to us, like a close friend or a person we might've met. Like we're just so misinformed on topics that people are being, you know, canceled for that it's almost unrealistic to expect people to assist in canceling people because they have no basis for actually, you know, calling those people out for actions. 
Yeah, definitely. Would you say, in your opinion, are there any people who are deserving of cancel culture? I think there are definitely people who are deserve or deserving of kind of like a call out from society of telling them what to do, just based on the word and how it's come to grow and what it's meaning really like, you know, what it means to me in today's like society and in the context of how it's been used. I feel like no one's really deserving of cancel culture. They might be deserved of being called out for their behavior, but when it comes to somebody who's, you know, performed a really extreme case of harming people it's kind of beyond you know the social media realm of solution like we can't really expect everyday people to solve really extreme problems at that point it kind of proceeds on to maybe like you know the government or the police if it's really a dangerous situation like if it's for instance i don't know like something like rape that's not really appropriate to call something you'd cancel for, but that's like one of the most extreme examples where, you know, people holding themselves accountability for their actions is necessary. But it comes to the point where if it's really extreme enough that they deserve to be publicly called out and to just like be put in front of other people's faces as like a person who's made a mistake, that's probably not great for the person they've offended. And it just, their situation is probably more sensitive than what should be brought to social media. Like in that example, perhaps the victim of whatever mistake that they've made isn't comfortable with their personal problem being shared. And it just comes to the point that like when it gets bad enough to be deserved of, you know, like being brought to the public eye, it's probably too bad to be brought there in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'd like to touch upon some of the cancellation of children's media. Specifically, there was a filter put over Disney plus movies such as, Dumbo or Aladdin, I think Aristocats as well, Um, and there was also a controversy surrounding Dr. Seuss. So do you have any thoughts about that? Um, Do you have any um, suggestions for how to handle uh, quote-unquote canceling a children's-based media? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like those little disclaimers, such as the filters, are just, at that point, it feels like you could maybe recall the, like, various, like, I don't know, movie, or reproduce, like, something without that offensive aspect to it, especially if it's something like a movie or a book, you know, obviously, you can't take all of the previously bought books and edit what's inside of them. You can't recall every single production of that harmful media. You know what I mean? It's already been distributed. People have already seen it. But at that point, if you're able to start adding this filter that's like this aspect of this like movie is kind of offensive or it's really offensive or it's harmful to a group of people, then you could probably take it out. And people always say, oh, but that's part of the movie. You know, it's a classic but there's nothing really classic about its offensive aspects. So at that point, if you're able to add this layer of like apology to a mistake you've made, you could probably stop it from being distributed to children and being added to, you know, like the media that they consume. Yeah. So I really love the, that Disney plus put the filter on old classics like Dumbo and Aristocats. Um, Specifically in Dumbo, there's this whole scene kind of mocking um, minstrelsy and with the crows. And I think that 
not allowing that to be watched by children without some kind of warning and some kind of realization on the parents end that, oh, this is like maybe not what I want my kids to be watching. This is not the example I want to be setting for my children. I think that's great. And I think there are definitely people who were outraged by just a filter put over a movie. I don't think that's merited. And I don't think that we should be upset about teaching our children to be better than we were. Um, Putting a filter over a movie doesn't change your ability to watch the movie. Um, It's literally three seconds at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) And realizing that something you did was harmful is exactly the accountability that we've been talking about. And I think that putting a filter over a movie isn't even canceling a movie. It like not even in the slightest. Maybe it's calling it out, but it's mostly just doing what I think as a society we can all agree we want to do, which is be better and teach our children to be better than we were um, and set good examples for them. Now, the one that was like super prevalent was Dr. Seuss. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like a few months ago around Dr. Seuss's birthday, Everybody was fighting on Facebook about whether or not it was appropriate to hold Dr. Seuss celebrations in schools and whether or not um, parents should read Dr. Seuss books to their kids on TikTok. There are many teachers saying, I don't read Dr. Seuss to my to my children. Here's what I read instead. Um, There's so many opinions about Dr. Seuss. Do you have any opinions about him? Um, Do you have any thoughts or feelings? I mean, as somebody who grew up when that was, like, a really popular book for kids, you know, when I was little, I know that I definitely read that, and it was around my house or in schools. I feel like it really depends on which version of his works you're consuming, because there are definitely ones that are super offensive or just really not appropriate for children, but those probably aren't the ones that children are being presented with in schools. I still personally wouldn't really want my kids to read that kind of thing I wouldn't be upset if it happened to be in a library and it wasn't a particularly offensive edition of one of his works but I personally probably wouldn't go out of my way to make it accessible for my kids because I just prefer to be as safe as possible and to not contribute to a really controversial topic but at the end of the day I feel like if they're children it's a lot of baggage to put on them that this person has done something wrong, especially if they're already consuming that media. So I think that as long as it's like, you know, if it's in a library and they happen to read it, I don't want, I would definitely remind them and tell them that aspects of what he's made are inappropriate, especially if they happen to stumble upon those various publications. But as long as they don't, and to a certain age, I feel that I would be comfortable with my kids happening to read it, but it maybe wouldn't be my first choice. Yeah, I think the biggest problem um, is mostly the way that he depicts African-American people within his illustrations. But I'm going to be honest, when I was reading those books as a child, I had no idea that the the illustrations were supposed to be depictions of African-American people. Not even until recently when I was old enough to really um, make my own opinions about things and research things did I realize that they were harmful depictions of African-American people? Um, I think that, I don't know how possible it would be, but I think that it would be 
a great idea if that if books that have not already been published, like the new editions of these books, just took out those illustrations and replaced it maybe with something different if it needed to be, um, but just took them out altogether. And I think it's very interesting to me that there were these harmful depictions of African-American people alongside some very heartwarming stories that were often, in my experience, used to teach about um, segregation and bias, which I'm specifically thinking about the star-bellied snitches. Um, so this book, in my appearance, and my experience was used to describe why we shouldn't, you know, separate people based on their appearance and why that's harmful, why it's mean, and, you know, love yourself no matter how you look. And then you you take away this book and you see all these harmful depictions of African-American people. It's just so ironic and so unexpected. Um, it's really crazy. And I saw a lot of teachers a few months ago saying, well, I use the snitches to teach about, you know, not separating people based on their appearance. And some teachers were like, well, you can use other books for that. Don't use Dr. Seuss. Honestly, I don't think kids know the difference. I think as if you took out the harmful depictions, there's no outright moments that are going to teach a kid to have some kind of internal bias. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I feel like, especially as children, they probably aren't going to be looking for that. And like you mentioned, you know, you didn't even notice that that's what he was attempting to do in his art until recently. And, you know, obviously, if there is an example where it can be avoided, that's always productive. But for this specific book, like the Starbellied Snitches, it's interesting because it was, you know, absolute, like actually published during the civil rights movement. It was published like in the 60s. And just looking at that, it's interesting that you can have so like such a kind of like a, I don't know, like a dual aspect of the way that he used to produce his media you know sometimes it was incredibly offensive sometimes it was like you know centered around you know removing bias from a society and it's just really interesting to see that and see how I don't know a person can like have such you know kind of like progressive aspect to their to their art and to their writing but also be so offensive at the same time and yeah. that's what makes it so complicated to cancel someone because it's what part of that are we canceling? Everything that he's ever made, just this one thing. Do we still appreciate this, you know, step that he attempted to take towards equality and like speaking out about biases? Like, where do we kind of draw the line between what we accept of his and what we don't? Right. Yeah, that's definitely a difficult question to tackle. And I think that really comes down to the essential question. What do we accept and what do we not accept as a society? I think generally um, people who have been canceled have been canceled for instances of racism, instances of offensive views towards a particular group of people. Um, sexual harassment has for sure been a big one. Um, uses of slurs. But I also think that now 
there's almost a fake outrage. I think, in my opinion, there is a group of people who will always be outraged that someone is being quote-unquote canceled even when they are not being canceled, even when what's happening is just a call for accountability. Um, And the specific example I have about this is Pepe Le Pew, the skunk from Looney Tunes, the one that always is, like, trying to flirt with his fellow characters. The sequel to Space Jam that just came out left this character out in its entirety um, because, according to the um, article that we read by Brooke Cato, um, there was a scene in which the character is depicted as a flirty bartender who insists on kissing a female customer despite her many objections. Um, And later on in the movie, the basketball player takes Pepe aside to explain the concept of consent, and Pepe Le Pew admits that his longtime love... Penelope Pussycat had filed for a restraining order against him. So they took this out. I think rightly so. But when they took it out, there was so much controversy from people about canceling a children's character. And people were really upset about it. I don't think he was canceled. I don't think anyone is saying we can never have this character. But I don't think that these scenes should have been in a children's movie to begin with. I think that that's a harmful example to set for young kids. And I think that we shouldn't be promoting this type of behavior. And so what better way to not promote it than just by silently removing it instead of putting it in and then having backlash afterwards? I totally agree. I mean, the scene itself just obviously contributes to rape culture and things like that just like contributing to ideas that sexual harassment is something that is kind of more excused and for it to be in a children's cartoon is just so bizarre to me I can't imagine how the editors looked over that and didn't think oh maybe we should remove this right and removing something from a short from a movie from a book it's not about pretending it never happened, you know? It's about, like, recognizing that it was a mistake. It's not something that's done in silence, you know what I mean? It's, like, a process that has to occur where people are actively thinking about what they've done. And that isn't cancel culture because it's, you know, it's merited. And even people who aren't super progressive will probably feel uncomfortable by this, you know, like, kind of, like, rape culture being present in their kids' movies, in their kids' TV shows, you know? Yeah. And it's just, like, when it comes down to the fact that it's, like, clearly not partisan it's just like this general moral standard that almost everybody upholds and that maybe even the editors themselves beyond like the consumers probably felt uncomfortable with it's not really cancel culture it's just thinking about the fact that it was a mistake and removing it you know and it's not like people are pretending it never happened it's not like the entire cartoon will never be aired again it's just this one specific instance and this one character who depicts something that's really harmful to a group of people. Yeah. Now, I would love to touch on some non-tangible things that have been canceled 
some non-human things. Um, so uncle, and I say the word canceled very loosely. I don't think that these things were canceled, but we'll get into that. Um, uncle Ben, Aunt Jemima, and Mrs. Butterworth, the syrup bottles and the rice guy, the rice brand, Uncle Ben's. Um, so after they faced backlash for perpetuating racist stereotypes, the brands decided to give themselves a makeover um, to change their mascots and to think about what could be better to promote their food brands. Do you have any opinions on this? It's a very difficult question to answer because it's not like you can really pick a new person to be the face of that, especially because, you know, understanding why the original person was removed probably won't make like won't make people want to have their face on these things. I think that when it comes down to it, it's just not really necessary to have like representations for everything. You know, sometimes syrup can just be syrup. And just the fact that this like racial aspect was added to it in the first place when people would put these like kind of like things with histories of racism on their products is just so randomly political when it comes to just like a consumer good that it's not really productive to have any sort of replacement but just to remove it altogether. you know what I mean it's not as if we need another person to go on a syrup bottle it's just that why was a person on a syrup bottle anyway you know right. it just gives an opportunity for people to make this mistake for people to do something really harmful for people to be racist and I don't think there's really a need to give them another opportunity to put someone on there. It's just not really necessary to have any person on there anyway. Right. I think people were very outraged by um, the perceived canceling of Aunt Jemima, Mrs. Butterworth, and Uncle Ben because they don't understand why the images were harmful to begin with. I don't think that they're being canceled because no one is saying, you know, they that they are inherently wrong. I think they're being, I think they are mistakes that are being corrected. The people on these bottles, number one, were caricatures of stereotypes of African Americans. And isn't that the legacy that minstrelsy has left to begin with? I don't understand that there, why we would need to have something like that to begin with. Um, so I don't think that there's any kind of understandable outrage in regards to these things. But I also don't think that everybody understands, you know, what that, what was harmful about the images. And so I do understand that there, there could be people seeing this and just thinking that it is people being too sensitive or um, some kind of leftist agenda that is evil and making things hard for everyone else and changing traditions. But at the end of the day, all that's happening is we're taking off harmful images from something that doesn't need an image. Um, and I think that that really is what cancel culture should boil down to. Accountability. 
Although people won't always understand why someone is being held accountable, I think that it's important to hold those people accountable anyways, despite any backlash that they may receive. But I also think that it's important to educate people who are upset about it as to why why it's not an okay thing to begin with. Um, I think education and accountability are really the two strategies to improving society without cancel culture. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I feel like when it comes down to it, people who were upset that the syrup bottles were being changed just didn't really understand why it was happening. They just saw it as a change in tradition or as in something they were familiar with. And that kind of is why blind canceling, as people call it, is so, you know, demonized by groups because they feel like it's really dramatic or because it's not deserved. And it just comes down to the fact that they don't really know why it's happening. They just know that it is happening. And that makes it really hard for people to witness these changes, you know, in logos, in people appearing on syrup bottles. as like something that's productive because they just don't really understand the offensive history behind it. And perhaps if they were told of it, they might be more forgiving. They might understand that this is something that's necessary to happen but they just see it as something that's new and they're scared of that. And that's part of why cancel culture has a really negative response sometimes among certain groups, because they just see it as something that used to be really simple for them being more complicated when in reality it was always that complicated. They just never bothered to look at it before. Yeah. So speaking of different groups of people being outraged, how can we balance having differing opinions without canceling one another? I think opinions that are different from other people's opinions should never infringe on their ability to just exist as who they are. You know what I mean? Like you can maybe be conservative economically speaking, or maybe even in certain, you know, like kind of more social justice aspects, perhaps about defunding the police, something like that. But if it just comes down to being genuinely offensive to a specific group of people and just kind of encroaching on their ability to feel comfortable in their own skin and their own bodies in just their own communities. That's where it comes to the point where it's not just a difference of opinion. It's something truly offensive. You know what I mean? Like you can't really act in a racist way and just say, it's part of my opinion. You know, it's just my morals because it doesn't come down to that because your opinions don't stay within your own personal bubble. They go out and they hurt other people. They offend other people. They take down various cultures, various ethnic groups, various racial groups, etc. And that just comes down to the fact that it's not really an opinion anymore if it affects other people's, you know, comfort in a group. Right. I definitely agree with that. What do you think are the most productive ways to interact with someone who has said something offensive? It definitely depends on your relationship to that person. If it's maybe a close family friend or a close family member, or close friends, etc., then it's really important to have a discussion with them to really say, hey, did you know what you said was really offensive? Maybe not even just to me, but to another group of people. You know, having that one-on-one, rather than taking them in front of a big group, you know, calling them out, making them feel like they're on the spot, but really focusing on having a one-on-one conversation where you're expressing your opinions and they're expressing theirs. Because when it comes down to that, when you're having that discussion, it almost is like a difference in opinion. You know what I mean? Like you get to hear why they said what they said. And oftentimes, sometimes they don't even mean to say what they said. They were just going off on a tangent, probably went a little bit too far. 
and would regret it if they had the opportunity to discuss it rather than being taken in front of maybe your whole family or in front of like a group of friends. And that just really comes down to the fact that people are very apologetic and they think a lot about what they say. It's not as if they don't mean to say what they said or they don't understand that what they've said has, you know, induced backlash in a group. They just don't really want to come to terms with it if it means that they feel threatened. So I think pulling somebody aside, having a one-on-one conversation with them or DMing them personally over social media saying, hey, I don't really appreciate what you posted. Can we talk about this? Or would you mind taking it down? Is so much more productive than pulling them in front of a group or publicly commenting it. I mean, you can always tell other people your opinion, but not in a way that prevents them from working towards an apology and working towards accountability. Yeah, I think public condemnation and public shame will never be the right way to go about it because that's when people are put on trial. That's when they get defensive. And like we've already touched upon, when you're defensive, you're not open to improvement, you're not open to criticism, and you're not really being held accountable. You're just defending what you did. Um, I think that one of the biggest problems with cancel culture is the fact that it's become so social media-based, where you have people who are being called out in giant groups on social media, who are being shunned on social media, And then you have the people who are outraged about the people being called out also on social media. It's become this bubble of echoing opinions and competing voices that just makes it so nothing is getting done. No one is being held accountable. No one is improving. And no one is really listening to the other side. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, you see these comment sections that are just like full of thousands of replies where no one's really thinking... I'm talking to another person, you know what I mean? Another person who isn't like a different species. They think the way I think. They have their own beliefs, you know. And it just comes down to the fact that when we interact over social media, we don't really think of it as being a regular interaction, you know what I mean? Like when I talk to my friend, that's completely different from if I was to comment on a person's TikTok or something. You know, it's not the same thing you kind of like distance yourself from reality and you say, okay, this is like a make-believe person. I'll never have to meet them. And that makes people say bold things, be really offensive, be really mean, and not really follow like a productive agenda towards pushing a more progressive, a more accepting, a more moral standard for people. You know, when you comment something, you don't really think, oh my goodness, I hope I can change this person's mind and make them feel that what they did was wrong and never use this language again or never say these things again, you think I'm going to make it so that everybody knows what they did. And that's just like the motivation behind that is really harmful. It's not actually about progress when it gets to that really like competitive point where you just want to be right. And you just want to get like a bunch of likes on your comment or whatever. It just comes down to the fact that you're looking for kind of like a publicity in your opinion. You're looking for validation, your perspective. And at that point, it's not about progress at all. It's about just like, feeling secure in your own beliefs. Yeah, I totally agree. So what would you say are the pros and cons of cancel culture? I think there are definitely more cons than pros when we're talking about how it, you know, how it plays out on social media. There are definitely the pros of personal one-on-one discussion, which I feel like in a way is an aspect of cancel culture, just with a different name. I think that it's really productive to have people understand that they've made a mistake for them to maybe be given an opportunity to reconsider their actions. But when it comes down to what the word has grown to mean, I think it's just like a sea of cons among maybe like the one initial 
positive thing that somebody might have meant to do in the start of calling somebody out for their actions. I think when it grows into this like social media oriented, really harmful, really kind of angry, maybe even violent thing with really severe consequences rather than like following this path of understanding of accountability of maybe even like, you know, reforming beliefs about a certain topic. That's when it's really productive. But when it like strays off into this kind of like attacking people for their opinions, you know, like making sure that they face the biggest consequences in their work life and their school life and their social life. Like that's when it, you kind of like go into con territory and people are just competing to be heard among like a sea of others rather than focusing on like the original point of the entire thing that they started doing. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's a lot more cons than there are pros. And I think whatever the original intent of cancel culture was, it's gotten lost in the trendiness of social media and in the way that social media makes things progress super quickly and then nothing happens with them. Um, But overall, would you say that cancel culture is good or bad for society? And I think I know what we're both going to end up on based on our conversation, but I'd love to just hear your, your deciding, deciding thoughts. I think that cancel culture in the way that we really have, you know, described it as being in this podcast is super harmful to society because it's just like so misguided from original perspectives about, you know, pushing a progressive agenda and it just eases into really like kind of sketchy behavior where it just comes down to being rude to people, you know, people getting sent death threats for mistakes that they've made. And that's just not productive. It's not helpful. I don't think there are really as many benefits to society as there are drawbacks, which is why in the end, it's my personal opinion that cancel culture is really harmful. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that overall, the way that we've created cancel culture as this toxic social media trend that doesn't allow for any improvement or accountability, I think that's super harmful. And I think, as we kind of touched on really early in the episode, I think call-out culture is a way better wording for what we want to happen. What you want is somebody to be called out for their mistakes. But what ends up happening is people being shut down, their careers are ended, nobody supports them anymore, and they're on the defense, so they can't improve. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to hear some of your closing thoughts. What opinions, ideas, thoughts, or suggestions do you have for our audience um, as we close out our discussion on cancel culture? I think that cancel culture, it is just proof that people need to think before they speak, both when they're addressing a mistake that someone's made and when they're saying something that could be offensive, could be interpreted wrongly. It just comes down to really evaluating your own words. You know, we understand, okay, maybe I shouldn't say this. I can see how this could be misinterpreted. I can see how this is offensive. And also when we're responding to people who have made those mistakes and maybe had that lack of like taking a step back and considering what they're about to say, we should still also think before we speak and maybe consider that what we have to say to this person isn't really about the mistake that they've made, but it's maybe more a general point that isn't super productive 
to the discussion. But yeah, I think that it really comes down to the fact that we don't really consider what we're saying, especially on social media, because it's just like blindly posting things. And the same goes for just general discussions. You know, we get into a really strong flow about what we're talking about, and we end up blurting things out that we wish we didn't say that'll get us in a lot of trouble or that probably aren't productive to the person who we might be trying to get in trouble. And that's what I think is most important. Yeah, I definitely agree. I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and for um, giving us your time and your opinions. It was such a pleasure talking to you, such a pleasure having a conversation with you. And I'm so glad that you were able to make it today and that we were able to have this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you. It was awesome. I'm so happy and I can't wait for this episode to air. I think everyone's going to enjoy it a lot. Everyone should go check out the resources in the link tree that is on my Instagram bio. Um, There's a lot of great things there. You can read some of the same articles that we read. You can listen to the podcast episode that we read or that we listened to. Um, We did not read it. Um, And yeah, I'm just so happy that we were able to have this discussion. This was super fruitful. And I think that there was a lot of good moments where we got to really delve into what exactly are the root issues with cancel culture. Thank you so much for coming on to the episode and have a wonderful holiday. Thank you, you as well. Hi guys, it's Mia. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you like what you heard, drop us a follow, a like, and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening, and once again I would like to reiterate that all views are my own and that the views held by my guests do not necessarily reflect my own views. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Bye!